Hello there. This week's episode about Bosnia and Herzegovina was a little bit choppy in the first couple of minutes because I was trying to be cheap and record it using the campsite Wi-Fi. I quickly realised my mistake and switched over and started spending money using my hotspot. I've managed to fix most of it. You'll barely notice. Enjoy! Welcome to All Points In Between, the travel podcast that tries to explain local cultures, but gives up about halfway through and just says, well, just go and find an expert. This week, Abby and I are parked up just outside Sarajevo in Bosnia, and to explain to me where I am and why it's interesting, I have with me the host of An Englishman in the Balkans podcast, David Pichinovic Bailey. Nice to be with you today. I put the Pachinovic bit onto my name when I got married, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Pachinovic. Um, another thing our listeners will be very used to is me horribly mispronouncing things. Pachinovic. I can do this. <laughs> 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 so thank you very much for coming on. I found out about you last week when I first arrived in Bosnia because Usually I research things about 15 minutes before they happen to me. And I first came across your companion show to an Englishman, which is a travel guide to Bosnia that you do with your wife, Tamara. And I really enjoyed it. It really gave me a good overview of the place just as I was arriving here. So let's imagine that I've been swept to power in the UK and in between the important work of seizing the banks and nationalising roller coasters, I've decided that I need an executive summary of Bosnia and Herzegovina. So, Mr. Pajinovic Bailey, you have one minute of my time. OK, this country is, in my opinion, I've lived here for uh, a little over 20 years now. And I would say, um, in a nutshell, Bosnia and Herzegovina is a very misunderstood country a heart-shaped country as well in the middle of the western balkans uh it's very misunderstood because when you um go to places like youtube or your favorite browser and you put bosnia and herzegovina uh, in normally you'll get fed uh, a massive list of quite disturbing um and negative articles normally uh, relating to the war that finished here over 26 years ago um, and also about its total dysfunctionality and how it is so very, very different from, let's say, Northern Europe or Western Europe, when the reality is that, yes, the war has finished 26 years ago, life has progressed tremendously and this is a place that uh, is not on everybody's travel radar to visit, but has the most welcoming culture, uh, traditions and history that, I don't know, I think is just overwhelmingly spectacular. Uh, for a quick view about uh, travel opportunities and what that offers, there's a song that says, don't go chasing waterfalls. I don't agree with that. I think spectacular and stunning waterfalls than Germany, France, Spain, Portugal and Italy 
all put together. And if you look at that and tradition and local culture and a very warming uh, population as well and factor in that as far as northern or western Europe, as we call it, you're looking at spending 60 percent less on on coming here uh, well, staying here, that is. So for food and travel and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, I think certainly with the waterfalls, I spent a bit of time in the Una National Park when I first got here, and it is very stunning. It's a surprisingly wet country. Um, like you say, it's an upcoming destination. It's It reminds me a little bit of some time I spent in Albania a couple of years ago. It's less on the radar than countries like Croatia, which are pretty popular these days. But it is definitely well worth a visit, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. It's um I th- I I think one of the, the things about Bosnia and Herzegovina is that there's so much to explore here that the I mean it doesn't matter whether you are into history, if you're into uh, architecture or if you are somebody that likes uh, exploring spectacular nature, it offers everything here um, at a fraction of the cost, as I said before, of going to other places. Our neighbor country of uh, Croatia uh, has uh, nearly got back to the standard uh, that it was during the former Yugoslavian times when you, you know people used to come to Yugoslavia and go to the Croatian coast. But with that, Croatia has joined the European Union. Uh, they now have the euro. And I think within a period of 18 months, that country went from being um, affordable to being now almost luxury. For example, I, I I live on an English pet, which is quite good for being here in Bosnia and Herzegovina. But do I go to Croatia a lot? No. Why? So if you want to go somewhere where there is a less crowded environment, this is the place, the place to come. Uh, a good example of that is uh, this morning we had two German guests staying with us that moved on to go south to Sarajevo. Uh, and we spent yesterday um, exploring my, my local, the second biggest city in Bosnia-Herzegovina, Banja Luka. And one of the things they came out straight away with when they talked about the time, albeit short here, was David We've spent a whole day exploring. We've had a fantastic time. It's been like a such a cool adventure. We didn't hear another foreign accent apart from the uh, language that was being spoken by the locals and the language that we were speaking together. Yeah, and that's the thing with it being that bit off the beaten track. Um, you might just lose me for a minute here just because I'm going to switch to my phone hotspot because does sound a little choppy um you shouldn't you shouldn't lose me for too long just just a moment the okay no, no worries yeah that's my fault for trying to be cheap and use campsite wi-fi <laughs> And we're back, I think. Cool, can you hear cool, me? cool. Yeah, I yeah. can. Okay, that should be a lot less choppy. Um, yeah, and as you mentioned, the Croatian coast, it has become a very big destination, particularly over the last 15 years or so. I was quite fortunate in when I first got my van in 2020 to be able to drive down that coast in that 
slight gap that we had in between lockdowns. And I got to go and see cities like Split and Dubrovnik, which normally I don't think would be my cup of tea because they are normally very crowded, touristy places. And I basically had the towns to myself. It was good. But I think that is perhaps the benefit of coming to a country like Bosnia that is still very much up and coming is you get a bit less of that. So, David, can you tell me how you ended up living in Bosnia? Well, it's quite the complicated story, so I'll try and give you the the, the shortest version of it. I had been in the British Army up until uh, 1993, and then I I went into media as like a second career. So I went to work for a broadcasting organisation that had a project for about 10 days uh, in Bosnia during 1993. So that is during uh, the time of conflict. And I was in a place called Tomislavgrad. It was an interesting project, but... Um, it was quite traumatic at the time that the war here was not very pleasant and no war- wars are very pleasant. No. But I spent two, I spent two weeks here and or so and thought, well, I'll never come back here again. Some years later, things weren't going too brilliantly uh, back in the UK. So I volunteered to join the Army Reserves and there was a, um, uh, the Brits had a part of the NATO stabilisation force. The whole division was here. Um, and I ended up uh, coming here as an officer to Banja Luka in 1998 to do uh, a military orientated media project with a civil community. Uh, It was meant to last six months, Martin. So that was in September 1998. Goodness me, we're just about to enter the end of September 2023, and I'm still here. I found that, for me, Bosnia and Herzegovina became the Hotel California, Yes, I check out, I go on holidays, but I never leave. And why? I just found that the whole lifestyle here was really something different from Britain. Um, I really enjoyed uh, becoming part um, of a local family where family values were still very, very dominant. I really, really respected and, and understood how these three ethnic groups uh, live alongside each other and that as individuals um, they do not have a beef or an issue with each other it's just a political thing and I also got to see um, I don't know how people are so uh, resilient and self-sufficient there's a lot of self-sustainability in the country and as I drove around it uh, to see mountains, valleys, huge forests, <clears throat> and, and and everything that was like a living adventure, if you will. I really just fell in love with the place. There's no other way to describe it. I don't think Bosnia and Herzegovina would be for everybody. I don't think it's everybody's cup of tea to come and live here. Although having said that, I live in a rural village, um, and I was the only Brit, and now there are two British families that are living here as well. So I don't know whether that's to do with Brexit or not. I'm not sure. I don't want to get into that political discussion. But that's how I arrived here. I did work overseas for quite a few years, but I was always based here and I came back here all the time. And this is where I will end my days. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Certainly Brexit is part of the reason why I'm driving through here. I had to get out of EU 
with my 90-day rule. So I'm making this way on my route down to Turkey. But yeah, I am sold on Bosnia and my hypothetical listener, and my listeners are very hypothetical, they are also sold on Bosnia. So when people are traveling here, what kind of organizational things do they need to consider when they're coming to the country? I think coming here, uh, I, I had a, a long-term friend that was uh, Euro-railing um, around uh, uh, Europe, and he wanted to come here by train. So if you're traveling by train, the trains will stop at Zagreb, which is to the north of the country. The rail infrastructure in Bosnia and Herzegovina was destroyed during the conflict, and there have been more important things. They want to build highways before they build railways. So you can come by train until you can get to Zagreb, and then you'll take a bus. But having said that, um, there are good connections between Bosnia and Herzegovina and Zagreb in, in Croatia. Lots of flights from London Heathrow and London Gatwick into Zagreb. I believe there's now a twice-weekly flight from London Luton coming in uh, to Sarajevo. And if you're prepared to fly with Ryanair from wherever they fly from in the UK to another point, for example, Berlin or whatever, then Ryanair fly into Banja Luka, which is in the north of the country. You can also drive, obviously. Um, on arrival at the border, uh, Brits, uh, the hypothetical listener, if you will, you get a 90 in 180 day visa, which means you can stay here for 90 days out of any 180. What you can't do if you fall in love with the country is at the 180 day point, go to a for, for, to another country and come back. You would have to stay out for another 90 days. But it is visa free from that point of view. Um, apart from that, uh, if you're going to stay in uh, licensed accommodation, uh, you will have your residency uh, recorded for you. But if not, uh, within 24 hours, you can go to any police station uh, with your passport and say, uh, I'm in the country, I'd like to stay for 90 days. And the fee, I believe at the moment for that white card is about five pounds, which hardly breaks um, a budget if you're going on holiday. And then the rest, the world is your oyster. The country now has developed to a degree where this new young generation, uh, most of them speak English now. Um, it's a fantastic how they speak English. They don't learn it so much in school. They pick it off the movies. So, yeah, there's not too much of a uh, language problem here at all. If you go right out into the rural sticks, well, yeah, if you're in the si on the side of a mountain, I don't know, miles away from a town, <laughs> Yeah. You know, maybe maybe that won't rub. <clears throat> but getting here is not a problem. Um, uh, the language issue is not really, I would say, a problem. If you need to go to a restaurant for food, not only is it cheap, but menus are now having an English translation on it. It might not be the most perfect, but you'll certainly understand what they're offering. Yeah, that sounds really good. What would happen to somebody if they didn't get that police registration? Let's let's just say somebody got waved through the border and weren't asked for any paperwork and didn't realise that they needed it. What what would happen to that person? Well, in reality, I would say nothing is going to happen to them. Um, when you leave the country, uh, nobody's asking for for that registration card. It is a legal requirement. 
I think, however, um, if you were to blame in a traffic accident, for example, or you had got involved in some violence, fighting when you were drunk or whatever, then I think uh, as a foreigner, they would say, where's your registration card? But apart from that, to be honest, uh, the reality is that the, the, the police aren't interested. I mean, if you speed um, and you pull over, uh, once they find out you're English, they'll most probably turn around and say, a little bit slower, please, on your way, whereas a local would most probably be fine. So while while it is a legal requirement, um, unless you're looking to apply for temporary residency or unless you get into trouble, um, really, the day-to-day -day reality of it, it's not going to cause a problem. Okay, that, that is extremely reassuring for our listeners to know. Please note, this podcast does not constitute any evidence of a crime that may have occurred. <laughs> well, no, uh, um, I, I, I have evidence. Um, I I <laughs> thought that uh, the 90 and a 180-day rule was that I could go out after, you know, 90 days and come back in and, you know, that was going on for years. I was living with my now wife, Tamara. We were living together in the village. And then when we decided to get married, we had to get the paperwork. Uh, and then for me, that's when it blew that I'd um, broken uh, the immigration <laughs> rules. Um, and yes, I was fined. I was fined £150 for it. It's not a criminal conviction. It was a civil issue. But in Bosnia and Herzegovina, when you get a fine, you have seven days well, you can pay it within a month, but if you pay it within seven days, it comes down to, you know, 50%. So I, I paid my £75 UK equivalent. Nobody got stressed with me. I went back in the office and they said, you're clean and we start again. So it's it's not that much of a drama. Our listeners will be very reassured by that. And I'm sure they will be leaving the country in the next week or so anyway. <laughs> so once you're in the country... Let, let's say you're driving from north to south. Where do you think are the real highlights of Bosnia and Herzegovina, of course? Um, I think that it's, it's, it's a very difficult one to answer, but I would say that if you enter in the north of the country, let's say you come via the motorway uh, from Zagreb to a crossing, the, the most largest crossing, a place called Gradishka, and you would start to drive south, I would say that you would stop at the second largest city, which is where we're near, Banja Luka. You would see that. And then you would make your way, obviously, to the capital, to Sarajevo. And there are towns along the way. The names might not mean anything at the moment, but if you research them, they might. Yaitza with a fantastic waterfall, uh, the original city of Bosnia before the Ottomans came. Uh, then you swing a left uh, through some more. The, the scenery here is absolutely stunning. Uh, to a town called Travnik, which was the capital of the country when the Ottomans were here. And then you would arrive in the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, Sarajevo, you would spend time there. Um, and then it's up to you where you go. You can go further south towards the Montenegrin border. There's a town called Trebinje. It's really beautiful there. Or you can swing east to go to Visegrad, which is on the Serbian border. Or if you go back to Sarajevo, then you drive to Mostar, which is the third largest um, city in the country. And not far from Mostar, and we were talking about the Croatian coast and how expensive it is, um, Bosnia has the second shortest coastline in the world. Monaco has the shortest, 
Bosnia and Herzegovina has 23 kilometers of Adriatic coast. Ah, yes, the, and, the Bosnian Riviera, I believe. Well, it's yeah, called, it, 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 it it is. Yeah, it's it's quite short, but it it's beautiful to be there. Tamara and I have been there quite a few times, and when you look at the price differential between Dubrovnik, which is just up the coast, and come down to Bosnia, I mean, it's like day and night. Yeah, it's a bit of a geographical quirk, isn't it? Because you've got Croatia stretching all the way down the Adriatic, and then there's a gap, and then there's more Croatia. And just in that little 20-kilometre gap, you've got Bosnia. Um, Do we know why that is? Yeah. um, When the country was called Yugoslavia, or there was a country called Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia was made up of six republics, and two autonomous regions. Uh, the two autonomous regions, one is called the, the Vojvodina, which is in the north between Hungary uh, and Croatia, and the one in the south was called Kosovo and Matokia. However, when the Yugoslavia broke up, the six federal republics, socialist federal republics, became nation states. So when, when Yugoslavia was one country, it didn't matter about the coast, whether a little bit of it belonged to the Republic of Bosnia-Herzegovina or the rest belonged to the Republic of Croatia. It was one large country, so there was no problem. When Yugoslavia broke up, that republic still, you know, of Bosnia, the new Republic of Bosnia and Herzegovina, or the country, rather, of Bosnia and Herzegovina, had this 25 or 23 kilometres, and they ain't giving it up. <laughs> no. Uh, and and so... Got to have your beach holidays. <laughs> so there was this quirk where, up until recently when they built a bridge, the Croatians had to leave their own country to go through another country to get back to their own country. But that was a leftover, a relic, if you will, um, of the country that used to be called Yugoslavia, where nobody really cared about where they went. There were no borders between the republics. It was just one huge country. But that is the last remnant of that old country called Yugoslavia. Of Yeah, just that historical quirk. I remember a couple of years ago, as I mentioned, I was driving down the Adriatic coast. So I have technically been to Bosnia once, but when I crossed the border into the country, it's on the assumption, well, this was during COVID times, and it was on the assumption that you would exit the country within about 45 minutes. And if you didn't, then you got into trouble. But yeah, so it's technically my second time in the country. The other thing I wanted to talk about and... You mentioned it a little at the top of the show, is that probably the first thing that still springs to mind for a lot of people when they hear the name Bosnia is the events of the 1990s. And as a small child, I remember it dominating the news. It's probably the first major world event I remember happening. And I'm a bit of a history nerd. And so naturally, I was quite curious about it when I came here. But I understand it's still very recent past. There's quite a few issues left unresolved at the end of it. So, for example, the country still has three heads of state. And it's a subject that I was unsure how much I'd be able to find out about it while I was here without coming across like, well, a bit of an insensitive oath. If people are curious about what happened during that period... Is there a sensitive way for them to go about finding out about that while they're here? I I would say that um, it depends where you go in the country. 
Um, Sarajevo is predominantly what we call Bosniak, which is Muslim. Sarajevo, where uh, Vanyaluka, where I am, is predominantly Serb. And when you go down to the Mostar area, it is predominantly Croat. So those are the three major ethnic groups. For us as outsiders, I don't think we will ever get our heads around how the people of this region think. Um, and let me let me d- explain it this way. The children today are taught in uh, ethnic environments, and there is not a single history book of recent history that is the same in all of those three groups. So the history, the modern history of Bosnia-Herzegovina is different for each of those three ethnic groups. I think when you come to to Bosnia-Herzegovina, yes, when you travel outside Sarajevo, are you still going to see uh, destroyed buildings? Yes, you are. Why are you going to see them 26 years after conflict when in 1971, if you'd gone to Germany, you wouldn't have seen anything as a result of the Second World War? Mm. And that's because the law says that property belonged to somebody and it will always belong to them unless they wish to sell it. So some people may have left the country during the conflict, never wanted to come back. It will still stay there in a ruined state. If those people have died, I don't know what's going to happen. They'll have to wait till the whole thing just crumbles under nature. But yes, you can see about the war. If you want to find out about the war, I think the best thing to do is to go on guided tours where tour guides may or may not talk about it. Um, Be Mm. prepared to find that when you go to different parts of the country, that the story will be told to you differently, such as they attacked us. When you go to another part of the country, it will be the other way around. The people that said they attacked us, you know, they attacked us. Do you know what I mean? So you've got that. Yeah. My 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 top tip though is um, when you're in this country uh, and these people are amazingly hospitable. Be prepared that if you're in a village and somebody comes along and says, "Are you English?" and you say yes, please, I come c- come in come into my house and sit down. And and you do because you know that's it's being <laughs> being polite. Um, you won't be thing. there. For- yeah, you won't be there for five minutes. You'll be there for five hours because they'll bring out the <laughs> drinks, the food, and they're really, really hospitable and they want to find out about why you want to come to their country. Now, it's too easy to say, to talk about the conflict. The conflict is still very raw. Yes, yes. So, I, so, I, so I always say the one thing you don't do, unless you know the local people as very, very, very good friends, is don't talk about it. Yeah. If you are interested in it, and you want to see things about it, then go on guided tours. But when you're sat in a coffee bar and somebody comes over and says, you know, I'm I'm English. Do you mind if I practice my English? And you go, yeah, why not? And you sit down and you're talking to them. Please don't say so. What was it like during the war here? Please do not do that, especially the younger people. They want to know more about is what they see in the Hollywood films real? Um, And the big thing for Brits be aware only fools and horses is the most successful comedy program ever in this region they play it on repeat all the time and del boy is their hero really? so they'll want to know <laughs> yeah they'll they want to know about peckham spring water they'll want to know <laughs> about and if and if you say what and they what do you know about only fools and horses trust me <laughs> they will immediately say to you rodney you palonka but with a Slavic <laughs> with a Slavic accent, so they're more interested to find out about us. Uh, we're interested to find out about them, understandably. Uh, 
But I, I would say if, if, if you want to find out about the war, just do it with an official tourist guide. But please don't talk about it in, in, in a family or in a, a, a social conversation uh, because it's going to go wrong and there's going to be no happy ending to that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. That's, uh, well, that's the first I've heard about only fools and horses having an overseas market. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, called, it's called Muchka in the local language. Uh, uh, if you go to Belgrade, the characters, not the actors, but the characters, Delboy, Boise, um, Rodney, Grandad, they've got streets named after them in Belgrade. Really? Oh, wow. That is very cool. Uh, I have, have to ask my friend who lives there about that. <laughs> yeah, and the actors have all been given Serbian uh, passports as well. So there you go. Oh, yeah. If um, if Britain gets too much for them, they can always head over that way. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> sweet. Yeah. <laughs> As we were just mentioning, and going on to a bit of a lighter note, there are three languages in the country, but they're largely mutually intelligible as far as I'm aware. Um, would it be right in saying they're sort of in the grey area between distinct languages and dialects? Would that be right? Before the conflict in Yugoslavia, uh, there were three languages, Slovenian, Serbo-Croatian and Macedonian. Right. The language that was called Serbo-Croatian was spoken in what is today Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Montenegro. The difference between the dialects and the small use of word changes. Now, if there's a Croatian listening to this, he's going to go bananas and say, no, 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 we have our own. But in the main, they all understand each other. They can all speak to each other with their own accents. They know where they are. So, for example, I'm from the home counties in the United Kingdom. I might get it wrong on occasions, but I certainly can tell you that somebody's either from Lancashire or Yorkshire. And the accentual differences and dialect differences are greater in the United Kingdom than they are here. But language is also very divisive. For those that smoke and you come and you want to buy a packet of cigarettes here, you'll see the uh warning sign on the cigarette packages in th- in three languages I one will one be right in... in front of me okay so you'll see at the top if i've got this right it's in cyrillic um on the bottom on mine but the okay the on the two, okay but the okay on the bottom are basically identical absolutely so um in cyrillic that's for the serbians and then one of those that you see in latinic is for the Muslims. And the other one, which is exactly the same, is for the Croats. Yeah. So every, every, each I mean, ethnic I'm group has it, to... Be... I'm reading it right now, and they are actually letter for letter the same. Oh, oh no. Yes. Um, for, they, for they, they are. No, they are. They are. They've they just, are. Um, put the typeface slightly differently to make them look a bit different. Absolutely, because here each ethnic group has to be... It has to have the same weight, if I can put it that way. So although the word in Latinic is the same for Croats and Bosniaks, there are three constituent people in the country, and that warning has to be there three times. Crazy for us Brits and other people when we go, well, why don't you just have it twice? But everything has to be in three. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But but do you know what I mean? So you'll see that as you will see the road signs, by law at any rate, um, should be in Cyrillic, and Latinic as well. 
I notice depending on what bit of the country you're from, one or the other scripts will sometimes be spray painted out, presumably by some of the locals. Yeah, that's 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 that, that they do that because obviously the um, the wounds of a conflict are still very yeah. apparent. But uh, when it was Yugoslavia and children still go to school in shifts here, by the way, there's a morning shift and an afternoon shift, and kids go one week early shift, one week late shift. But in Yugoslavian times. Uh, all the children in that country <clears throat> would have one week where they would write Cyrillic and the next week they would write in Latinic and then back to Cyrillic and back to Latinic. Yeah, that doesn't happen now. That that doesn't happen now. In the Serbian part, they'll still focus on uh, Cyrillic and the other two will focus on um, Latinic. So, you know, that's the way it's always been. Uh, and they're trying to, to cope with that. But language uh, has been, and I'll use this phrase, I hope people understand it, language has been weaponized, sadly. Certainly not the only bit of the world where that's happened. The reason I've been bringing up languages is because when I travel in different countries, I do try and learn some of the, the basic phrases. And I've found as I've been going into shops and places and giving a bit of the local dialects try i've been getting some blank stares so what i wanted to do is just try a couple of phrases with you and just see if i also get a blank stare from you or if you can understand what i'm saying go for it go for it okay so the first one sadavro <laughs> okay martin was i close <laughs> yeah sort of yeah what you want to say is stravo Travo. Okay. So if you if you write it down on a piece of paper in front of you, yeah? Yeah. Right. Okay, right. S T. Yep. R A V O. Travo. Okay. Travo. You got it. Stravo. It, okay. it means hi, hello. Yeah, good. Okay, that <laughs> explains why people have been looking at me like I've had a stroke. Um <laughs> next one. Yabi Pivo Mullin. Um, you're obviously asking for a beer, right? Yeah, this is okay. this is the joy of Google Translate as well. Okay, what you should <laughs> what you should say is "Yedno pivo molim." Yedno pivo. Yeah, yedno pivo molim. One okay. beer, please. Okay. Yedno, is... yed, yedno pivo molim. Yedno pivo molim. Okay, that is definitely Google Translate leading me astray on that one. Now, this next one I know is right. I'm just terrible at pronouncing it. Hala. Yeah. Um, Hala. Hala. It means thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, so um, it's like it's like having a Dutch H on it. Yeah. Right? You know, the, the Dutch have this ha. So if you can just say Hala, or even if you drop the H and say Vala, they'll understand. That's that's what I've been doing when I've been in shops. And yeah, yeah, I do I do get a bit of an appreciative grin. I do have one final one for you. Go on. My hovercraft, yay pun, yay gulia. Which is of what? course which is of course my hovercraft is full of eels. Um Yeah. Um I've, <laughs> Close never, I, I've, I've never had to use that one. <laughs> uh, some Ever. someone who's 
someone who's not watched enough Monty Python there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, the thing is, Martin, is that uh, my local language is um, passable. It's far from perfect. Um, I, I speak perfect German, but I mean, this language, whether you want to call it Serbian, Croatian or Bosnian or Montenegrin, it doesn't matter. It is the sixth hardest language in the world to learn. And the older you get, the more difficult it is. Uh, the grammar rules are like a, uh, sorry for saying this, but it is like a minefield. But I think no one intended. of the things is, no pun intended at all there, but if if you try and use um, some of the phrases, even if you, uh, you know, if Google Translate gives you the, the sort of like the wrong pronunciation, it will cert- what Google Translate really does, though, is it will translate English into very, very good, let's call it Serbo-Croatian for the sake of argument, and you can show that to a local, then you'll, you'll get places. So modern technology on your phone will get you places. If you try uh, to speak, uh, they will certainly respond positively. Trust me. The only danger being is that if you get your first phrases really right and you go in and you go <laughs> and you speak it fast and you get it right be prepared for them to say uh, do you want it cold warm uh what do you want and, and then it, then you're led into the whole conversational piece so you have to be prepared for that but i have to say well done well done apart from the hovercraft and the eels of course Hello. <laughs> just drop the h martin just say oh. Hala. Bala. Absolutely okay. got it. Well done. <laughs> I, okay, so with that, we are going to move on to another segment where I get to display my ignorance. I'm calling this bit David Bailey's Big Bosnian Brain. Okay, that's enough open source intro music. For this game, I've asked David to put together a handful of simple trivia questions for me. I'm hoping he's taken simple to mean the same as I would mean simple. So essentially things that could be answered by a 10-year-old apprentice goat herd from Mongolia who's never heard of Bosnia. But we'll see how we go. Right. <clears throat> so this is what's going to happen. Um, I've got a number of prizes this is not for a 10-year-old goat herd. This is for somebody that does a travel podcast that's been in Bosnia and Herzegovina <laughs> for a few weeks. Oh, and dear. And I've, been, and, I've, and, I've, and I've been following this guy on Instagram, right? So I know where he's been and what he's been saying. So here's the first one. If you get this right, you're going to get a key ring. Ooh, okay. Are you, are you ready? And it's, it's multi-guess, so I'll give you, in most cases, the answer. Right, right then. Let's do this. Okay, this is this is a food question. Which Bosnian dish is made of minced meat, often beef and lamb, and is typically served with flatbread and onions? Is it A, burek? Is it B, chavapi? Is it C, goulash? Or is it D, sarma? Now, I know this one because it was the first thing I did when I arrived in the country was go to a restaurant and get myself some chavapi. Okay, chavapi, you got yourself a key ring. Chavapi. 
Yes. You got your right. Now this one, seeing as you've done a tour of Sarajevo, you should be able to find this one. You should be able to answer this one properly, right? Okay. Bosnia and Herzegovina is known for its diverse religious communities. What are the three major religions practiced in this country? Is it A, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism? B, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism? Is it C, Islam, Buddhism, and Sikhism? Or D, Christianity, Hinduism, and Sikhism? So we have, yeah, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. You got yourself a pin for your lapel. Yeah. Uh, you see, I'm, I'm glad you gave me multiple choices because I was going to go for Catholic, Orthodox and Islam. But yeah, I, I didn't realise there was a big Jewish community here. Yeah, um, th th there were lots of Sephardic Jews came here when the Spanish Inquisition threw the Jewish people out of Spain. They all came uh, to what is now Bosnia and Herzegovina, predominantly to Sarajevo. I bet nobody expected that. Second Monty Python reference. Okay, right, here we go. Which is the longest river in Bosnia and Herzegovina? Is it the River Bosna, the River Verbas, the River Naretva, or the River Drina? This might be a tad this, difficult. This one I do not have the foggiest on, so I'm going to go for the one that the country sounds like it's named after and say the Bosna. No, it's the River Drina, and the River oh, Drina... Boom. <laughs> flows for 346 kilometers 215 miles it is within the borders of bosnia and herzegovina and it forms the natural border between the country and serbia prove it hang on you're still you're still in with a chance so this one is for a laptop sticker okay right? there's no multi-dress on this you either know this or you don't but seeing as you've done tours of bosnia and herzegovina the tour guide should have told you this Bosnia and Herzegovina has had only one Nobel laureate. If you pronounce his name incorrectly, it doesn't matter. Do you know who that is? I didn't go on a tour of Sarajevo. I just kind of wandered myself around. Um, oh, I can't even think of any. The really sad thing is I can't actually think of anybody famous from Sarajevo except for Gavrilo Princip, and it's not oh, him. Yeah, he's he, he's famous now. It was he's Ivo pretty... Andri... Yeah, <laughs> go it on. It was Ivo and Andrich. Okay, oh, listen. Never got it. If you get this one right, you're going to get a fridge magnet. All right. Right. So here we go. This is a food question. Which traditional Bosnian dessert is a sweet pastry? made of thin layers of dough filled with chopped walnuts and sweet syrup. Baclava, Which traditional baklava, baklava, baklava. Hang on, I wanted to give you the four choices. <laughs> uh, is, it bakla is, is it baklava? Is it tufahia? Is it klukusha? Or is it pita? <laughs> and you've answered it, right? It's, I, I reckon it's baklava because I love that. And this is the final freelance question, which you have to answer is, what have you enjoyed so far about being in Bosnia and Herzegovina? Oh, that is a good question. I think my favourite thing I've done while I've been here was while I've been in Sarajevo, I got cable car up to the top of the mountain, whose name I forget. And 
back in 1984, there was the Winter Olympics here in the city. And there's still the old bobsleigh run from during that period. But it's not been in use for an awful long time. And it's been on my list of abandoned engineering visits, really. And it's a really great spot. You can just wander down this, well, bobsleigh run. And there's these huge banked corners that have all been covered in art by local graffiti artists. And it just is a really beautiful route winding through the woods. I would strongly recommend that. Okay. I accept that answer. Yay. So, so Martin, tonight you have won yourself an Englishman in the Balkans keyring, an Englishman in the Balkans pin, an Englishman in the Balkans laptop sticker, and fridge magnet, which I will put into an Englishman in the Balkans <laughs> envelope. Uh, and when you give me an address to send it to, I will pop it in the post as soon as possible. Yay! I'll send it to the people in the UK who take all of my correspondence on my behalf. Cool. Oh, that was brilliant. Thank, thank you very much for giving me a bit of a test there. And I think that pretty much covers us for this evening. Well, evening or whenever you are listening to this. I imagine my hypothetical listeners listen to this when they're in the grocery shop. I don't know. <laughs> Any, well, it, it might encourage people to try different things and perhaps also make their own alcohol dependency seem a bit less severe. I don't know. But, David, is there anything that you want to plug at this point? Um, yeah, I'd like to plug Bosnia-Herzegovina because... My aim with all my online activity is to get as many people to come here. I, I know I said earlier on about I don't agree with <clears throat> mass tourism and over-tourism, but I I think, well, I know from my own experience of over 20 years here that the most powerful tool, if you will, or the most powerful medication to help this country heal and get going is having local people meet foreigners uh, where they can share stories, be listened to, uh, interact with locals. They, they can find out about foreigners and foreigners, whether they're Brits, Germans, or anybody listening to this podcast, uh, they, they, they can interact as well and have super adventures. Uh, and I tell you, they will go away feeling uh, much better for it. So that's, that's been my aim. I have uh, a blog. I have, um a, a newsletter and all you have to do is put into your search bar an englishman in the balkans um if you want to find out more about the country um yes you can research it online but if you want to visit me wherever i am online i give the perspective of seeing all this through a different set of eyes so if you want to find out more about this beautiful country then please do drop by um, I answer all the comments, uh, all the questions, and I would really like to help you discover somewhere else off the beaten track, which when you go back home to wherever it is, you'll have stories to tell and people will find you fascinating. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. And I would add an extra plug of yours, which is the reason that I found out about you and the work that you do which is the Travel to Bosnia and Herzegovina podcast, which I think you can probably find on most podcasting apps. I assume it's a pretty short series and it just gives a really nice 
intro overview to the country? Well, we're going to, I do it with my wife, Tamara, and uh, we have got plans. We, we've not been as consistent as we thought we should be, but we've been giving it a lot of thought. So we're going to be launching it soon. Yes, the Travel to Bosnia and Herzegovina podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever. Uh, and that will be relaunching in the very near future. Uh, so please do give a listen to that. Um, my wife is slightly irrelevant, uh, ir- irreverent. Sorry, <laughs> that's, not... that's that's a Freudian slip, if I ever. That was it. Yeah, what, was it? Yeah, especially in this country. Um, so <laughs> I, won't, I won't. I won't get fed for a month now. But no, <laughs> honestly, um, uh, we we bounce off each other very well, and she has a her view uh, of her own country, um, and I have mine. So we we get together. Uh, very well so that'll be relaunching soon and we have um a plan in the pipeline together with some friends in the uk to launch uh, a special digital product about bosnia and herzegovina but i can't say anything about that otherwise i'm going to be in deep poo okay i will wait on tentacles for that if you want to get in touch with us well i say us it is just me who does everything on this podcast then you can email at allpointspod at gmail.com or you can let me and the world know how you got on on that quiz on Twitter at allpointscast. If you can give us a review, it's pretty good for algorithm reasons that I don't really understand. And also the release schedule tends to be a bit irregular, so try and subscribe and it'll make sure you don't miss anything. With that, it's Dovidenya from me. I didn't write that down, you just read it. Thanks for listening, and thank you very much, David. And I'll rant at you all again soon. <laughs>